Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Another year. I was just thinking the other day, I just got used to writing 2016. It's hard to believe, but every year seems to go faster and faster. If you'll turn over to Job, we'll uh, take a few verses at the beginning of Job chapter 38 here in just a few minutes. Job, right before Psalms, right in the middle of the Old Testament. Job chapter 38. There are a few opportunities in the year like the one that we have today. The first day of 2017. Brand new day, brand new week, a brand new year begins today. So many questions, so many opportunities, so many challenges. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we've already answered the the toughest question of the day is what am I going to have for lunch? So now that I've passed that, I move on to, uh, to dinner after that. But one of the difficult things that we have is we often think of the new year as an opportunity to, to make some resolutions, to have some goals. Well, I want to exercise a little bit more, maybe lose a few pounds, learn a new language, uh, maybe get a promotion in my job, have certain goals, certain uh, aspirations that we look forward to each and every year. Um, what I'd like to do today is talk about a little more substantive types of questions. Um, who are we, right? Where are we going? Where are we headed? And what are we going to do with this year? I would encourage you to take the bulletin if you haven't uh, yet. Uh, there's a, a, a brief uh, article we call Meditations uh, that we'd like to each of the members and each of our visitors to read um, and to take it to heart. Um, one of the things we do encourage you to, is to, to be in the Word and to pray each and every day. So let's remember... Um, Not only just to make a resolution for this week uh, or even this year, um, but every day uh, to to take advantage that we have of opening his word and reading it. So let's let's take a look at some of the points that we'll look at on how do we answer the question, what are we going to do, period. What are we going to do, question mark. Not just this year, not just this week, not just today. But what are we called to do? And who are we called to be? There are a few key points as believers in Christ that we're called to be different from those around us. There's a common saying, in fact, it was made famous, um, I'm I'm dating myself again, but uh, a movie uh, that was very popular at the time. And it had a phrase that it made uh, popular, uh, Tempus Fugit. Or carpe diem, right? Time flies. Time is, is fleeting. And as you're younger, you don't think so much time flies, right? Um, but as you get older, tell me, it speeds up. Uh, it gets quicker. Um, and it seems like every year, the years get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, time flies. In fact, it does. And we're told that time is fleeting. Um, seize the day, carpe diem, is the idea of there's so many opportunities. Do what you can, experience what you can, hear what you can, learn what you can, take advantage of the time that we have. And yet, let's learn from those things um, and realize that carpe diem and it is not an idea of let's just take things and enjoy it for the day. But let's ask the question, what are we really called 
to pay attention to. What is our goal, our end focus? And our end focus, in fact, must not be temporal. It must not be temporary. It's not something that we seize for a few days or a few moments or even a few years and then let go of it. It's gone. It's fleeting. But something that we need to focus on eternally. Let's turn now to Job chapter 38 and look at the first seven verses of Job chapter 38. Job was, was in a difficult spot. He had lived his life very faithfully. He was so faithful he was called the most righteous man in the East. He was even so faithful that he observed sacrifices for his children in case they had a thought in their heart against God. They hadn't done anything. They hadn't proved that they had sinned against God. But Job said, just in case, I'm going to make a sacrifice for them so that God will forgive them in case they ever did this. He was a very faithful man. And yet all of these difficulties that he got, even in the first and second chapters of the book, challenged his belief and his, his established credibility that God was one who punishes those who sin and one who rewards those who are faithful. And Job said, why was I ever born? Why did I even come into this world? And for 36 chapters, 35 chapters, he and his friends go back and forth. And his friends are very consistent in their belief that sin results in punishment. Now, the punishment that they were expecting is what, they, what Job was going through. They thought, you must have done something wrong. There's some hidden sin, something in your heart or something that you did that nobody else saw. And God is punishing you for it. But Job was insistent that that was not the reason. And he continued to charge God to say, tell me what the case is against me. It was in very legalistic terms. What, what have I done? What, have I, what law have I broken? What have I transgressed that resulted in you punishing me in this way? And so he charges God over and over. Stand up. Speak up. Tell me what I've done wrong. And the Lord in 38 finally makes an appearance at the very end of the book. And in a tra traditional, dramatic uh, way, he's speaking out of a whirlwind, out of a tornado. And in verse, 30, verse 1 of chapter 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements? Since you know, who stretched the line on it? Or where were its bases sunk? Or who has laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. And one that would instantly humble Job to recognize that he was speaking to the almighty creator. The only being that was there at the foundation of time. At the beginning of time. And he was speaking to the creator. And in that instant, in that moment, Job must have felt that the Almighty was rebuking him, was calling him and saying, you were not there. There was such power that I had that you could not recognize or even be cognizant of. All of the effort that God had expended in creating the universe, Job could not fathom 
what was done. And that instantly reminds us of who we are. As humans in this world, we cannot comprehend God. We cannot understand all of his ways. There are things that we will never understand. I'm, I'm always saying, I will have a list of questions that I want to understand the answers to when I get to the pearly gates. I look forward to having a wonderful conversation and understanding finally all of these pieces that I don't understand now. But what we do understand is that Christ himself decided to come to this earth to sacrifice himself that we can have hope of eternal life. So we must see that we must latch on not to the temporary, not to what Job was seeing even in his time of difficult struggle. His struggle was temporary, was only for a few years, uh, even a few decades. But in the grand scheme of things, God was saying, the eternal universe, I was there at the beginning. And your life was here on earth, and you are limited to what you can understand. You're called to seize not what is today, not carpe diem, but seize eternity. Understand the eternity that God represents. And so we must focus not on the temporary, not on the temporal, but on the eternal. Now if we look at what Jesus has said, he comes to the Gospels and he has some very simple sayings. And we're wrapping up the book of John in our Sunday morning Bible study. And... And the words that are used in John are very simple. They're very basic. Um, And yet the truths that they expose are very fundamental and foundational to understanding who he is calling us to be. He's calling us to change what's in our hearts and to change who we are. So I dare say at this point in the year, it's common and and typical to say, well, I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to resolve to eat better. I'm going to have my multivitamin in the morning, I'm going to eat more greens, I'm going to exercise more, Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be better about that. About 90% of the time I try that, it lasts about two or three days. After the first week, I'm like, I'm back to the M&Ms, I'm having two or three sodas a day. This is a little confessional, I don't mean to, to go that deep, but but a lot of these, a lot of these things that we set up are temporary, right? Um, we, we really we think we want to do better, and we really believe at the beginning of the year it's going to be a much better year. But by the end of the sixth month, the third month, the first week, first couple of days, we find that those resolutions that we make, although well-intentioned, really meaning to, to improve things, to improve our life, to improve who we are, are short-lived. And the reason for that is very easy to understand. Those impulses, those resolutions are based on what's outside. My doctor's telling me i got to lose some weight, right? My doctor's telling me I, I need to be healthier, I need to get more exercise. It's from the outside. But until I take that and really make it a part of who I am and really determine and focus on making that change, it won't be a resolution, it'll be a foundation. I realize I take to heart what somebody tells me. I make that change. But that change doesn't come from outside in. The change that's foundational and fundamental comes from the inside, and it comes out. Jesus says, the law says that if you look on a woman, if you, if you sleep with a woman, you've already had adultery with her. Jesus said, that's the outside coming in. That's the law. That's the legalism. That's the checkbox. I've never slept with anybody other than my wife, so I'm safe. Jesus says, no, it's your heart. If you've done it in your heart, you've already done it. 
If you've spoken ill to your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus is saying the change doesn't come from outside. Just because you haven't thrown stones at somebody and murdered them doesn't mean that you don't have that in your heart. Jesus is saying, let's flip that around and say, the murder that I have in my heart, the hatred I have for my brother, is what I need to focus on and change. It's that foundational change. Now, it's easy for us here to say, I've never murdered anybody, right? I've never been unfaithful to my spouse, right? So I'm good. But Jesus is saying, let's look at who we are. Nobody can do that but you. Nobody outside of your mind and your heart can look at you and say, you need to do this, this, and this. But Jesus is calling each one of us to look at our own selves and say, who are we? What are we thinking? And what is our mindset? What is our heart set on? Is it temporary things that are coming and going? Is it the lust of the flesh, the pride of life? Is it, is it these things outside of us that are telling us who we are? Or is it who we are inside that speaks to our purpose? Jesus is saying it must be what's inside you. It must be the focus that you have in your heart that sets who you are. And so our orientation needs to change completely. It's not a, I'm checking the boxes, I'm good, I'm set, I'm all done. That's why the Bible isn't a list of do's and don'ts. Because if it were a list of do's and don'ts, our, heart would, our hearts would never change. Our hearts would be exactly the same after checking all the boxes. And that's the problem the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. You have to wash your hands three times before you have food. You have to do certain ritualistic things in a certain order before you can participate. They were checking the box, but they were not changing their hearts. They were not changing who they were inside. Jesus said, let's turn that on its head. Let's completely flip that around. Let's turn it inside out, literally, and change who you are on the inside. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 12 and look and see what comes of changing who you are on the inside. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. We're familiar with the story, but I want to remember what Jesus said in the Gospels was very simple. The language in, in John is very simplistic. And yet it's, it's critical to understand what it really means. The language here in Genesis chapter 2 is very simple, very straightforward, very easy to understand. But don't let the simplicity of the language belay the complexity of the decision that was made in this passage. Think of yourselves, put yourself in this position, and realize the foundational response that Abraham made at the call. The simple call, as the, the disciples were called, the apostles were called, follow me. Two words, foundational changes, changed their life, turned it upside down. Abraham was given a very simple call. What was his response to that call? Chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. 
How simple a call that was. Abraham, go forth to a country that I will show you. Leave your family, leave your friends, leave your nation, and I will take care of you. Simple words, a simple message, a simple call, and yet one that required every ounce of Abraham's being to respond to. Was there hesitation? Was there doubt? Was there uncertainty? Was there a a shade of, well, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. God has said, I will bless you, and those that you bless, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And yet we remember that this call required everything of Abraham. But what does Abraham do? Well, I'm going to sit on it for a while. I'll come back to you. Let me think about it. Let me, let me go over the pros and cons. I'm going to make a, a, a yes-no chart, and I'm going to say, what are the reasons for doing it? What are the reasons for not doing it? I'll get back to you, God. Just give me a little time to think through it. No, that's not his response. Verse 4, so, so what? So because of what God said in the first three verses, because of that, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So we see that Abraham immediately said, You called, I will answer. It required, again, every ounce of his being to respond to that. He was giving everything up. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we see the commentary on what Abraham did. Why did Abraham do that? We look back at the focus. Was his focus on what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week, next month, even this year? He never asked that question. He never said, well, I'm not really sure what the outcome's going to be. God made a promise. God said to Abraham, I will bless you. And Abraham responded instantly. And in verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place when he was to receive, which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she had considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And all of these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
they were not looking at what was here. They were not looking at the land and the country that they were called to on this earth. They were looking to the heavenly country, to the eternal promise that they were given. And that promise that they were made, that God made to them, they knew that God would keep his word. They knew that God would be faithful if they remained faithful. And so they left their homeland. They left their families. They left their possessions in search of the heavenly promise. And in fact, this city, the architect and builder, is God. The city with the foundations that Abraham was looking forward to is the same city that we are looking forward to here. And in fact, we're called in very much the same way, not necessarily to leave our homes and to go to a foreign land, but to leave our old life, to leave our old way completely behind us. Because our city is not here on this earth. Our city is not where we live on this earth. Our city is the heavenly city. So as we see here, Abraham was a tremendous example of faith and of a life in deciding to follow what God would have him to do. So what are we to do? What are we called to be? And who are we called to follow? Well, the first and foremost, we are called to imitate Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and he lived a full life. He suffered. He was tempted. And it says, in all points as we are. Is there a temptation that you have that you think is unique to you? I can guarantee you somebody else has had it. Is there a difficulty that you've encountered in life? I can guarantee somebody else has encountered that. I guarantee you that God understands that Christ himself, who came to this earth, was tempted, understands that temptation. It's easy to think that he's sitting at God's right hand and he's completely separate and he's so far above this that he doesn't understand what I'm going through. There's no possible way that God could conceive of the difficulty I'm going through. Jesus lived it. He lived it here on this earth. He was tempted in the same ways we're tempted today. Now, we also see that Jesus, though he was tempted, never transgressed. He never broke from his father. He was continually faithful. Now, while it's difficult to understand a perfect life, a sinless life, we are called to imitate Christ and who he was. But we realize that that call is difficult. Let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and look and see what our foundation and our pillar should be for that life. Who were we called to be? And we see that Christ, who Christ was and what he did for us. First Timothy chapter 3. Christ came to this earth so he knew that he would return to his father. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Where is the household of God? You are in the household of God which is the church of the living God. God continues to live. He is living today. The church is the pillar and the support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Who was revealed in, he who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, was seen by angels, was proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Jesus Christ, as we covered today, this morning in the class, was seen by men after the resurrection, and yet they didn't believe who he was. We have not seen him, 
But Jesus himself said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so we are, said, we are called to believe in who Christ was. So we are to focus on the eternal, that God has set up the church as the pillar of truth. We're to build on a solid foundation. Let's turn over to Hebrews. We'll finish up with Hebrews chapter 13. One of the things that Wayne and I are trying to do for this year is to set up a program where we can speak and build up, speak to and build up the members of the congregation. The foundations and the principles of living the way that Christ would have us to live. So over the next year, we're going to be bringing some instruction, some edification, some guidance, so that we can build each other up and that we can build our family up here in Annapolis. And we're called to do that. We're called to lead. And in fact, we see the examples that we have of teaching and of being taught. So we want to make sure that all of the members here continue to grow spiritually um, in their depth and understanding of, of God and his love for us. So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll start in verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the results of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by the varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which we were so occupied we're not benefited. We have, oh, sorry. So, so we see there that, in fact, we are called to imitate those who lead, imitate the faith of those who bring the word to you. Christ himself does not change. He was the same before he came to earth. He was the same when he was on earth. And he's the same now that he's gone back to his father at the father's right hand. But we're to focus not only on the teachings that we have there from your leaders, but also what um, we have on the lasting city to come. We saw already that Abraham believed in that eternal city. He lived for that eternal city. His response and his re reaction to what God called him to do was driven for that vision that he had of the eternal city. And in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Hebrews, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought, front, brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So the reason that Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem is so that he would not defile the city. The reason that people were killed outside the city is so that the city itself could remain clean and those who were involved in the killings could remain clean outside of the city and not bring that in. Jesus himself, it says here, was taken outside of the, the gate and suffered outside of the gate. The, the allegory that we have here is that our sins are behind us. We are to separate from that old life 
and in fact, in a flipping it ironically, the cleanliness is not in our old life in the city, which is where the Jews thought it was, but the cleanliness is with Christ outside of the city. We're to leave the old life behind and to enjoy the new life outside the gate. We're to be with him and suffer with him outside of our old life, looking to the eternal city, which is outside the gate. But finishing up in chapter 13 of, of Hebrews, so we follow, in fact, what our guide is. We go with him outside the gate, for we do not have a lasting city. Where we are today, this flesh and blood that is in my body is not our lasting city. It's a temporary city. And we look forward to that eternal city that God has promised us, the same eternal city that Abraham was promised and, in fact, looked forward to in his response to the call. So what is ultimately our, our call is to focus on what is eternal, to realize the eternal city that we have to look forward to, to act, to respond when God calls us, and ultimately we are called to remain faithful. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. The old life that we have that we look forward to putting behind us in resolutions or in changing our life or rededicating ourselves, the old life is always there. It always haunts us. But what we're called to do is to put it behind us, to look forward to what we have in front of us. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that was before. Verse 22, yet, even because of that, or even due to that, and yet, verse 22, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If, if again, that's a big two-letter word, if, he has promised to do that, if, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which, you, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So just like Abraham had a promise from God, and Abraham acted, we too have a promise from God right here. If we continue firmly in the faith, established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, if that remains true, he will reconcile us to him in his body and the sacrifice that he made by giving his life for us. So through his death, we have life. We have a vision for the eternal city. We look forward to changing it. It's not a temporary thing. It's not a seize the day. It's a seize eternity. It's not a look to today, next month, next year, not even the rest of your life. Look to eternity. Look to the hereafter. So, Appreciate Carl's comments at the table today. Jesus is the conqueror. He is the one who has come and conquered death for us. And only through that conquering death for us, as we've seen through his body, Christ has given us that eternal hope, that life that we have to, the city that we have to look forward to in the everlasting. It's easy to sit here and say, oh, that's such a, a big challenge that's too massive for me to do I, I can't possibly 
be so faithful as Abraham. I can't possibly live in that way. Christ has promised to be there with us. As I mentioned before, Christ suffered. He didn't suffer just to suffer. He didn't just suffer and go through temptations. He wasn't here on this earth just to say, ah, I did it, that's no problem. He did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. So that he would understand and relate to the pains, the struggles that we have in our life. Christ went through that same struggle. And we're called to remember that and to focus on that. And even with all that, it's important to realize that he is the son of God. And he has done this for us. So we'll finish in Jude chapter 1. It's only one chapter. Jude verses 24 and 25. And this is a prayer that we should repeat often. If you're looking for a memory verse, this would be a great opportunity. Verses 24 and 25 of Jude, the last two verses. Now, now, not tomorrow, not next year, but now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The promise that we have here is through God, our Savior, through his Son, and to him be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority forever and ever. And we can be blameless through him and because of him. That's the call that we have to make. Not a resolution that doesn't last but a few days or a few months or even a few years, but a foundational change in who you are and what you believe. What's, what you do is driven by what's inside. And what you believe is in your heart, what's in your mind, will govern what you say, how you act, and who you are. And Christ is calling us to leave the old city, to leave our old way of sin and death, and to look forward to an eternal city and a life with him in the hereafter. If you've not responded, if you've not put him on in baptism, if you've not washed your sins away with his blood, he is calling you to that now. If you've fallen away, if you've found yourself turning uh, to the wrong path, if you need help and prayers of your brothers and sisters here in this congregation, we are here for you. If you'll make your needs known, as together we stand and sing.